And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course. And it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. Hey listeners, the new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX-11, is here. RX-11 is everything you need to fix, enhance, and polish your audio for music and content creation. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using the code FRET10 at isotope.com. That's F-R-E-T-1-0 at I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hi, Simon. Hey, Joe. What are you doing? I'm um, just, you know, celebrating the new year, you know? Yeah, oh, that's right. It's, it's kind of the first thing. It's really the first thing I've done. Really? In 2024. What did you? What about yesterday? Um, Sleep all day. Well, after I was bailed out of prison. Oh, prison know. or jail? Jail, 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 yeah. jail. You can't bail someone out of prison. Believe you me. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, I just realized all the prisoners are like, "Hey, I just realized you can just yeah. bail me out." It's actually oh. cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to do life anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know. Went to the the sphere. Watched the ball drop. Watched the sphere drop. Mm-hmm. Went to a bida. All right. No, I just had a, a a quiet old man night. Yeah. With the fam. Did you eat any beans or um, legumes or whatever we're supposed to be eating? I ate, I ate some beans, man. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder some, if I ate hominy and it looks like beans. Is hominy a bean? I don't know. Yeah. Hominy, 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 hominy. Um, I hope uh hope nothing horrible happens this year. You yeah, know, me either. Like, you know, if you go back and like listen to a kind of podcast of your, if you listen to like a podcast from February 2020 and they're just joking around and everything, yeah. and they have no idea what's about to go down. You're like, you poor fools. I wonder if this is going to be like that. They're like, oh my God, listen to these idiots. <laughs> they don't know that. Uh, but now we're talking about talking about talking about it. Emperor Trump will. Round round up podcasters and podcasties. Oh and gosh, send them to the camps. That would be insane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we might be able to get bailed out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never know with these new it's, laws it's that true. we're making up. <laughs> I like these new laws. Yeah. I think this is. Right, I think before the third, you can kind of anyone who creates a who thinks of a law becomes yeah. a law. I'm going to ask you to turn yourself up. Okay. Por favor. Here we go. Doing this thing. All right, I'm going to be honest. There, is, that, is that better? Yeah, it's cool. Okay. That's great. My knob on my Apollo Twin is kind of, you know, uh, conceptual. Where it you is. turn it up, it goes down. Turn it down, it goes up. Or it goes down. So I just kind of have to. But it went up. It went this up. Time. It sounded great. It sounded good. I'd, I'll adjust it. I'm an okay. audio engineer. I'm, sure I'm a you professional will. Okay. audio engineer now. Oh yeah. Yeah, as of 24. That's cool. So Me I too. Can, I can fix it. That's great. Um, where are you? I'm at home in 
Brooklyn, New York. Oh man. Yeah. How long have you lived there? Um, well, I've been in New York my whole life. I grew up in Upper Manhattan, Spanish Harlemish, then Morningside Heights around Columbia, kind of Upper West Side-ish, and then I went to school in Connecticut for a little bit, and then a little place called Yale. Just kidding. Um, and then moved to Brooklyn in 2005 and been here ever since, pretty much. What about you? Where are you from? In the West Coast. Mm -hmm. All of it, except for oh. Vancouver, BC. Yeah. I've lived in all those towns over here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. um, I'm envious of anyone who's lived in New York as long as you have. Uh, really? I, I am. I truly am. And mm. I want, what was it like, just let's say around age 17 or 16 or 15 when you started going to shows and you lived in Manhattan? Where'd you go? ABC? Well, I started, go I started going to show, did you say ABC? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I started going to shows because of ABC No Rio, because they had the um, matinees. So I was, this is the mid-90s, I think I started going to shows uh, on my own. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, ABC had a sort of, there was no bar. It was not as drug and alcohol-free as uh, Gilman Street or something. But the fact that it didn't have a bar meant, and the shows were so early that like it was a pretty safe place for young teenagers to go yeah. to because CBGBs was sketchy. Like there weren't a lot. There was not like a huge skinhead element at ABC No Rio. Like you weren't going to get beat up. And it was also sort of like, I mean, there's a lot of sort of junkie punks. But if they were causing a problem, the sort of the collective that ran ABC No Rio, who I know a lot of people have issues with, and yes, I, I think that they. They were canceling people before it was cool, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. But um, they'd kind of take care of it. But yeah, I started going to shows when I was, I think my, the first show I went to on my own, I was 13. And it was The Pissed and Os Rotten, mm. two Pittsburgh bands. But I think I had to leave before they played, even though I told people for years that yeah. I saw them. Yeah, I yeah. used to, yeah. It used to be cool to be older, you know? I used to like, pretend that I went to shows that if anyone <laughs> did the math, they would realize that it was physically impossible. Yeah. Like, so you were five? <laughs> I know. But, um, yeah, so ABC was, I would kind of go there every weekend, every Saturday. And something I was talking about recently is like, and not to brag, but considering how many unearplugged, loud, hardcore punk shows I attended, as a developing boy, my hearing isn't that bad. And I was talking with Russell from Modest Mouse about this, like based on the sort of like his DIY venue that he went to in Pennsylvania. Um, I feel like ABC No Rio for some reason always sounded really good. There was something about the room. I think you're right. I never left with like a ring in my ear. And I was, I remember being really scared and kind of thinking as, as you know, growing up and watching my friends who had similar trajectories start dealing with hearing loss like i start to kind of panic and address that but i really think it had something to do with the room that yeah, abc yeah was. it sounded good didn't have to be blaring but I, it, yeah, it was it was it was strange it just worked i don't know what it was i mean maybe it was just the sort of the uh the rotting walls or the asbestos or something but um you know, I mean, obviously the amps were turned up as loud as they can go, but you could sure. still hear the drums. You could still hear the shitty little PA. I don't know. Just... Bouncing off concrete. Was yeah. it, I, I can't remember, was it on the ground floor? So it was two places. Did you go up steps and go downstairs or something? So for the when I first started going to shows, it was downstairs. And okay. it was like in the basement and there were just rusty nails hanging out. Uh, yeah. Off, you know, and you, it'd be, you'd watch someone crowd surf and it was just like terrifying. <laughs> it was just like dangling wires and huge, like, just like steel stalagmites, which are the ones from the top. Or tights tights are, are the ones because the, they're holding on tight. Tights. Okay. And mites because they might, might get Hurt you. Hurt you badly. Right. Yeah. Um, that's when I started going to shows. That's where I, uh, I broke my arm 
um, cause a large guy fell on me in a mosh pit. This is actually, I'll tell, I'll tell the story quickly. Yeah. Um, I was like a little, a little punk kid, freshman in high school and these, uh, kind of two old, like older, cool girls were like, we want to go to whatever you do on the weekends. Will you take us? And they were like popular. I'm like, will you take us to whatever you do on the weekend? It's like, absolutely. This place called ABC No Rio. Meet me there at 3 p.m. And they did. And this band Anti Product was playing. And I was like, going to be like, and the mosh pit started. And they're like, oh, I'm scared. I'm like, Tch. I was also about 5'1 then. I'm like, Tch. it is nothing. Going to the mosh pit. 30 seconds later, I'm crying and I have nowhere to go. So I crawl on stage because I'm like holding my arm. Yeah. Crying. The band stops playing. They ask, are you okay? And I go, shake my head and go, no. no. And so um, <laughs> my sort of tough guy, cool guy image ended up in this sort of like literally show stopping. Uh, Cry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tearful tantrum. Poor guy. But, yeah. But anyway, you, that was the answer to whether it was downstairs <laughs> or upstairs. Um, and then it moved upstairs. Okay. Because of me. No, just kidding. Um, I just remember the reason I ask, and it adds to the dangerous element. I think when I played there, it was the basement was flooded, but we played anyways. Yeah, I we think that happened it a out lot. or something. It was a summer, and it was like nine hundred degrees and pouring. That seems like a perfect recipe for a three three p.m. show, right? No, oh, it's absolutely one. Yeah, what band was that you played with? I think that was Bare Minimum. I think. And was it just like, because they would just have random shows, like yeah. random bills. I think it was the, the VSS and Bare Minimum would be my guess. Because mm-hmm. we were on tour with them. That's or cool. Angel Hair. Okay. Yeah. The, but I think, it, yeah, the movie, I think it was just at one point, somebody with some authority, possibly a fire person, mm-hmm. took a look and said, what, what do you guys do down here? <laughs> They're like have <laughs> weekly parties <laughs> filled with minors <laughs> so circle back and like well maybe do it up in this room that you're using yeah. for nothing <laughs> there's less nails less water yeah. and less wires yes live yes. wires so instead of the fear of the ceiling caving in it was the floor that's right you know but uh yeah i think i like i, I I loved that place. I thought I it was it, it was important. What well, was kind of like? So where were you living at that point? Mid nineties, Seattle. Seattle. What was the DIY venue there? What was the sort of? Uh, where were we playing? We were. Pl- uh, I mean, it was mostly this place called the Velvet Elvis, okay. which was our center of our universe. Right. And there was the Redmond Firehouse, which is on the in the Burbs, but in still, Redmond. In Redmond, yeah. Where Bill Gates lives. Right. Or near in Redmond. Where his company is. And uh, there was a DeLorean convention there last time I was there. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. There you go. Were you there for the convention or were you there for doing Microsoft work or were you just uh, Yeah, but I was doing some Microsoft Word. <laughs> Microsoft Word is just like, you got to get it from the source. You got you to gotta use it there. <laughs> Have you used it there? It's oh, totally dude, it's amazing. Take your take your best orgasm and multiply it <laughs> by ten. You're still nowhere near. <laughs> mm. No, we were uh, there playing a show, but uh, but I was in a well. I guess Russell's kind of East Coast, but at that point, I was like the 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 lone East Coaster. I was I was definitely a West Coast splained mm-hmm. anywhere I was, even though I yeah. kind of knew him. Like, Listen. I've read some Kurt Cobain biographies. Yeah. I think I know where I am. You seem like you have a, 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 a maybe unconscious finger on the West Coast vibe. You're so oh. New York. You're like you're like a Scorsese of punk guy. You're so New York, but you know so much about West Coast, and you you fit in well with us over here. We welcome you. Oh, thank you. It's it's hard not to. I tried. Well. Well, you know, you did. well, I think there's something, and this is a this was the, uh, the uh, off-air conversation. We were talking about Bridge Nine and sort of mm-hmm. uh, kind of East Coast hardcore, and how I had my immediate distaste for that. I think there was a certain. It's funny because 
uh, Walter Schreifels, who produced the Spiralheads record and mm -hmm. is a close friend and was in the aforementioned, I say aforementioned, it's a New York thing, even though it's aforementioned, um, Youth Today, Gorilla Biscuits, I get, you know, obviously Quicksand, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But like, I don't know if you ever met Walter, but he like, I have not. he just seems like he, you know, sort of ollied out of Ridgemont High, best times of Ridgemont High. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Like very like yogi, but not like, not like a, you know, Ray Capo yogi, but maybe that's how I got into it. But like surfer, long hair, tan, just yeah. good vibes. Maybe he forgot his shoes at home, you know, but yeah. like, he's also like, you were in Gorilla Biscuits, like you were in you were in the eye of the New York hardcore tough guy storm. Like yeah. you, you were at every agnostic front show. And I think that he would, you know, he kind of had this sort of a bit like wanted to distance himself from that type of human being or becoming that type of human being, becoming this sort of New York asshole. Mm -hmm. right. And, you know, I remember like, cause those shows were really violent and scary. And uh, I mean, listen, I, I, I couldn't handle anti-product, right? Like, imagine, like, <laughs> Agnostic Front in 85. Right. <laughs> they wouldn't have stopped the show from my tears. <laughs> no, they wouldn't have. No. Um, but he, I remember he said, like, I'm like, how did you deal with that? Like, you're such a kind of, like, fun, chill, peaceful person, but you're also respected by all these terrifying, you know, refrigerator people. Um, right. And he said, like, I just learned how to disappear. Mm. Meaning, like, he could just... Whoo, and the show was getting scary. He would just kind of like become invisible somehow. And yeah. So that I think there's a certain, I feel like there's a certain, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy the efficiency of, of, of the East coast. I hate trying to buy coffee in Portland. I mean, I don't want to talk about LA. <laughs> I hate someone asking me how I love I, that. what I'm doing today, a stranger. Yeah. When I lived in Portland, uh, I walked out of coffee shops all the time. I didn't yeah. have anything to do, even. Right. Well, there you go. Like, so I'm like, oh, okay. Fuck? Like, all right, there's only one person ahead of me. Like, I'll be fine. And then, yeah. like, 45 minutes later, like, I've missed my flight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, it's so real. Yeah. After I've explained, it's basically like I've told them, or they've, they've asked as many questions as you have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not paying me as much as you are. That's you right. <laughs> Speaking of, there was a little bit of a pay change. Did you get the email before we did this? I did. Um, okay. You're still yeah. cool with it? Yeah, Samantha's sorting it out. Okay, good. I like Sam. Sex in the city. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, keep it New York. You know? It's New York, man. <laughs> um, S uh, Sex and the city. S-A-T-C. Yes. With an X. With <laughs> an X. <laughs> right? Oh, we're on to something. Little yeah. t-shirt side company. Okay. Tattoos. Um, well, one reason we're talking is to talk about your band, Spiral Heads, your yeah. three-piece punk band, I, I guess. I, I don't know what it is. I just said that. Um, but this new record, Till You're Dead, I've had the privilege of listening to Til, till, I'm dead, else, till I'm Dead. Till I'm Dead. I have it written down correctly, and I said it wrong. Sorry. Yeah. You just uh, paging Dr. Freud. Oh, you know fuck, I just messed you know. it up. Yeah, yeah. Till I'm dead. Yeah. Cut that in. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I was thinking about how to talk about this record. And, uh, and simply put, it is the simple part of it is it's, it's uh, all the punk energy. And it's, man, it is catchy. Every, almost every tune is just like this fast, catchy number. And that's my kind of music. And it always has been. And it's always this root in punk, but there's always something I, I went for the catchy versus yeah. the maybe noise, I guess. But the very interesting thing from about it is after listening to all your records in chronological order, it seems like your trajectory and your evolution has gone perfectly with the way I experienced, um, it's going to sound cliche, but uh, SST bands, and some other like San Francisco punk bands where they were these tight punk bands. And then at some point, a lot of those bands went to a new label, like new Alliance Enigma. Right. Uh, Warner had like restless. Do you remember that kind of yeah. all of a sudden it was like, 
your record was in cellophane and it was on a different label. There were less liner notes, less paper. And the new record, like Husker Du's Songs and Stories from the Warehouse, mm-hmm. that was on Warner. I think Meat Puppets did it. Uh, maybe even The Descendants did it. And some other San Francisco bands. But that's what this new record to me is like that point. It's kind of captured in that trajectory of that era. And a lot of people didn't like that. Mr. Plummer, you nailed it, man. And I fucking was always hating like songs and stories. People were like, I don't, it's not land speed records. It's like, yeah, it's because it's they're an evolving band. Yeah. And you, yeah. it's crazy. It, it's a weird feeling, this listening to the record and, and of course, listening to the catalog. It's so interesting that you said this and so on, on point because the way I talk about this record, even as it was being written or sort of like the way I would explain it to people, other band, like the other band members or whatever, was saying like, this is the last record by a punk band before they take a gigantic leap in a different direction yeah. and alienate their original fan base. Like that was the intention of this. Like I was thinking about like the damned record strawberries is a little bit like that. I mean, it happened. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good like, one. Yeah. Like, like there's, I mean, it happened. It just, I think, you know, it happened in English punk and, and, and uh, like um, TSOL uh, what's beneath the shadows. That record is, is a lot like that. And, and um trying to think and like okay this band blitz um, yeah sure because they were just like an oi band and then they sort of sound like joy division brought keyboards in like and i really like that sort of like hey you know we started with these very strict rules that we are a punk band and this is how we have to play and these are the tempos and this is the length of songs and this is like the structure and then you know they start listening to the beatles yeah, and and they kind of, of try, try, yeah, exactly, try new things. But it's yeah. like also like they're coming in from the bottom. They're like they're like stalagmites, <laughs> and um, and so it's still like this sort of raw outsider approach to pop, as opposed to sort of like a honed pop sensibility, yeah. of, like almost like an attempt to sound commercial, but like. A brilliant misfire, in a way. Yeah. It's amazing you said that, though. Better put than I put it. But, yeah, and again, I was, I'm not trying to make myself a hero, but a lot of those bands, I was just, like, defending it against my my peers who were like, fuck that, fuck that. And it was, it wasn't always good. Um, another, I thought of a British one, The Instigators did that. Um, I mean, Wire kind of did that. Yeah. I think Wire was more saying, like, we're not actually a punk band, you're wrong. Yeah that's just how he started and that's how he sounded and we can kind of do whatever we want. Um, I do think that there's something, you know, back to sort of like the punk I experienced and the, and the way, the way that punk was created and, and consumed in the nineties was um, I think the, the initial, the first sort of result of the, this kind of chrysalis that we are describing mm-hmm. um metamorphosis was like grunge and like grunge was almost like a result of like the punk bands who changed sounds, listened to different stuff. And then the people who listened to the punk bands who changed and did different stuff, created their own bands. Right. And that was sort of grunge. And I think that like in the nineties, mid nineties, there was almost a sort of like weirdly conservative return to form right. with like bands like Rancid and stuff. And the, you know, the big bands, but even the sort of like the local bands I listened to, like I was talking about like, Alice Rotten and, and, and Antiprod, like a lot of the sort of crust punk bands were like, this is, we listen to Discharge, we listen to Crass, and that's it. And there was a lot more, more like, kind of like, you need to stay within these boundaries yeah. because selling out not, doesn't only mean signing to a major label or something like that. Like, it also means changing the sound. And yeah. even at ABC No Rio, like, I remember, you know, if there was a double bass pedal there, people would kind yeah. of raise an yeah, eyebrow, yeah. or if somebody was like, you know, harmonized guitar riffs it was like that's right yeah this is oppressive sound yeah um but i, I also think it's how in, in i'm you know hone me and i'm going all over the place but I've, something i've noticed and it might be a result of the way music is consumed through the internet is that i feel like a lot of the newer bands who are kind of labeled punk or hardcore take this leap to i won't call it more pop but sort of a more uh 
free of genre approach to making music a lot yeah. quicker. And I, and, but for me, it was more of a result of like when Spiral Heads, we started Spiral Heads, which was in 2019. I mean, there's also other factors at play here, which is like we started as more of a kind of like Ramonesy, bad brainsy punk band. And then we sat at home for like two years. And, you know, that stuff's not as fun to play at home. Yeah. So I think right. that the songwriting changed. Yeah. But I think that like, yeah, like a lot of the, the whole idea of the band was that like, let's start with simple kind of formulaic punk rock, get a record on a label like Bridge Nine, and then sort of like expand to sort of like play the music we always wanted to play. And hopefully we did it. Yeah. It's a rad record. Thanks, it also got me thinking, and I want to talk a little bit more after uh, I'd like to play a tune in a second, but talking about this sort of era of when band, punk bands, our punk bands changed, uh, it got me thinking, this is pretty insider, but the st I'd be so much more interested in hearing those stems to hear what they were recorded, like how they were recording back then oh, yeah. versus just like the straight distorted guitar. I just think it would be like, so cool to hear Husker do's first involvement into a giant studio with like crazy sounds and stuff. I, I also think, and, I, and, and honestly, there's a bit of this in Spiral Heads too, where like these, this, this particular, these particular records we're talking about, like the departure from sort of the sound that these bands were known for usually comes when one member decides they want to do something else. But mm -hmm. a lot of the time the, the sort of the, 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 the vision is not, unified so like you'll have a drummer who still thinks he's playing in a hardcore band yeah you know and then you'll have you know the guitarist who thinks he's in the zombies right like sure. and i think that the stems would really show that and i think that's also like even with spiral heads like uh q our drummer is like he's just an incredible punk and hardcore drummer and if he he's sort of like if he changed his style to sort of meet the more kind of melodic power popish songs i think it would lose some of its energy it would just become would. that genre as opposed to becoming this sort of weird hybrid yeah of the two so i think that's a, like i agree with you in the stems because i think that it'll, it'll sound like if you if you isolated bass guitar from second empire justice by blitz or something yeah you would right. you'd be like oh this is an oi record or maybe not i don't know and then you put in the guitar and you're like oh no this is like a weird sort of new wave proto-goth record yeah. you know yeah, yeah. Um, well i hope that you guys make your stems available for remix oh, we got stems of yeah plenty. that's what i heard your stems rich one of the yeah. st most stems wealthy bands out there yeah i've yeah. heard maybe too many stems all right <laughs> uh well i want to play just so down is that cool absolutely here we go
to say the least. Thanks, man. There's a drum riff, as you said earlier. There's a drum riff. It's a drum riff. Who makes better riffs, guitarists or drummers? drummers. Well, Anyways, I say guitarists, you uh, say drummer. Yeah. Well, okay, here's an interesting thing that I was thinking of just now when we were talking about drum riffs that no one heard. Um, so where MGMT rehearse or used to rehearse um, is, maybe I won't say the name of the studio, but um, Marky Ramon has a room there. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, you know, he gets his char, he parks his charger in the garage. So, you know, he's there. And, uh, and he just goes into a room and you just hear him go like, and like, it's funny. He just plays a Ramon set on his own. Really? Like a couple times a week. And, you know, and it's funny that like we'd sit outside, you know, while we were taking breaks from rehearsal and just listen to him. And like, you can kind of recognize without any other instrumentation. Only the drums, you could recognize what song he was playing. Yeah, you know? that's cool. Especially and, those that band specifically. And I also had this sort of, it was beautiful and sad, because I had this sort of image of him, he's in there, you know, we got Joey, we got Johnny over there, the bowl cut, we got Dee Dee, who also has a bowl cut. And you just see, like, Dee Dee fades away, then it's just drums, guitar, and vocals, and suddenly Joey fades away, and just oh. guitar, and... And it's just, and Johnny goes and just Marky by himself, you know? Yeah. But it's cool. I mean, you've been in a band your entire adult life and you're like, what are you going to do? You just want to keep practicing. Just drive over and practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From Queens, I imagine, right? Yeah. I, I hope so. <laughs> or call the cops. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, tell me a little bit about how you made this record. Or how you kind of how do you guys write record? So when it um, when the band started, like I had a solo project called Simon Doom, which sort of then turned into more of a band, and we recorded a record that came out in 2017. And I mean, this is the way it is. And I was in MGMT at the time, and like when the record came out. I was on like a super long European tour with MGMT. So we, we barely played any shows and um, I enjoyed it, but it was kind of like, I did most of it myself and then had the band play it. But like this is sort of as far as like consistency or cohesion through the tracks, like it's kind of all over the place. It's just basically like everything I was listening to at the time and didn't really like, there was some people who liked one song, but it was, there was not really, it didn't really, it's almost like, what we were talking about earlier, but, but but to the extreme where everything was a bit too far apart genre wise. And Jim Carroll, who uh not the poet, but the who plays guitar and who played guitar in Simon Doom, he's also in American Nightmare and Hope Conspiracy, which are some mm-hmm. um Boston hardcore bands, um was talking about starting a band with like uh, the drummer of his old band. It was like his t- teenage hardcore band called uh the A Team. This guy Q, Michael. And so I kind of was like, well, you know what? Like Simon Doom has ran its course and I had a bunch of songs, but I kind of wanted to just, instead of like recording them myself and then having my fake drums replaced by real drums, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that it would be great to sort of like take some ideas and write them all together in a studio and also work within the confines of sort of like 145 BPM and up Mm -hmm. and in like less than three minutes hopefully less than two minutes and just try to fit them all in there. And also no keyboards, just guitar, bass and drum. Like if you can't like play it live and that's, those are limitations. And, and then Jim had a bunch of songs too. And so we kind of got stuff together really quickly and we literally, um, we're playing, what the fuck's that venue called? Um, Madison Square Garden. No, um, Alphaville. And uh, we were playing a show at Alphaville, and before we played, I asked my friend if he'd just, like, record. We used to go through every song we wrote, and we recorded it, and that became the first two Spiral Heads, yeah. seven inches, just based on that. And I, I kind of liked that approach, because when you're, like, writing on your own, I was just in my studio, and I was adding keyboards on top of keyboards and doing all that, like, just adding so much. I loved the idea of just, like, what you, what, what, what you see is what you get. Yeah. Um, and we were starting to play shows and then basically lockdown and 
we were just sending each other songs and we, we, we tried to do the same approach but obviously as you can hear there's keyboards on it there's a lot more yeah um, I those keyboards but it still tried to be like okay here's the guitar and vocals um although i play bass in spiral heads which i just forgot um <laughs> And, uh, you know, Jim would send me guitar and vocals. I'd add bass, send it to Q. He'd add drums. And then, like, I would mix it. And But those were demos. Um, so was, that was kind of the process, just remote writing and uh, recording, which was hard because sometimes, you know, you, you, you uh, everyone's going through an existential crisis. There were many times when I thought, like, um, you know, live music would never return if you if you take a bird you know a bird's eye view on the on the history of, of of musicians you see that there's like this this tiny little blip from like 19 you know 58 to now where like musicians could actually make a living or become wealthy playing music but if you kind of look before that you know, musicians were peasants for the most part you're playing in the parlors of the wealthy and i'm like this is what our future is. This is, you know, we, it's yeah. all over. I've wasted my life. So during those periods of thought, I wouldn't really write songs. <laughs> <laughs> unmotivated? Yeah, unmotivated. So it took a really long time, which is also, I was worried that would make the album not cohesive. Yeah. Um, and some of the songs are old. So it's, it's like, it's kind oh, of really? like, yeah. Some, I mean, old in the sense that some of the songs were written in two. 2019 and some of the songs were yeah. in 2022 but they're all kind of together like we we kind of put together a sort of mock-up album full of demos and sort of sent it around and we found a, a label who wanted to put it out and paid for a recording session and then we got walter schreifels who i was talking about earlier how was it working with him just the best like yeah he got it and it was kind of like it's it's just all everything that you've been saying about it it's 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 interesting how the questions that you've asked me already are almost like leading up to the recording of this record like i think that walter his ability to enjoy and embody and create new york hardcore authentically but his also his his ability to sort of like take a step back and look at it and realize that he can be many different things if he wants to was something that we wanted to bring to the record yeah. this sort of like i get that reference but i also you know i get this reference like yeah you know i'll get this like you, you want it to sound like um like i don't know uh, chrome mags but you also want it to sound like the blue nile you know or mm -hmm. yeah talk yeah. talk or something like that you know um or like the neck he would get all that and sort of figure out a way to to weave that together yeah so it wasn't sort of falling too hard in one direction and still kind of had this consistent forward moving but eclectic energy yeah it's captured from an objective point of view here uh certainly captured another thing that is in there is which is an interesting combination of things i think is there's a bit of a midwestern anthemic replacements in the bar sing along yeah. mm -hmm. but it has this in an all ages club hardcore yeah. it's like a combo of the two which is going to be fun live for the peoples yeah 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 i mean you too totally totally it's like I, I that's a big part of it too like the sort of the sst stuff that you were talking about the the like i think it's it's very sort of mid 80s yeah vibes yeah. um where it's like hardcore was changing you know you know proto alternative rock almost like mm -hmm. you know me puppets is a huge influence who's could do obviously replacements i feel like the replacement sneaks in there because also there's a lot of like cox bar in there and like oh right you know and then like uh blitz as i said so like it's almost like if you mix the sort of like you know midwestern or california mid 80s like i mean i another I, like even adolescence i love like Kid, sure. the kids of the black holes are my favorite songs like the sort of punk punk bands departure from their usual sound with british oi you get the replacements yeah right you know um 
That's right. The but adolescents were another band that changed. They they opened up their sound mm-hmm. and made that fucking record that's so great. The production credits, I don't remember them specifically, but there's some surprising production credits or something on it. Like, Well, I think it's produced by Mike Patton, who's not Mike Patton. Yeah. But isn't it someone else, too? Or is there... I think there's a story behind it. Yeah. Well, it's... What's it? Oh, God damn it. I'm having one of those days when I don't remember anything. Um, <laughs> the, the guitarist of the, of the adolescence is also the founding member of Christian Death. Um, I had no which idea. Which I think they were doing simultaneously. So it's, uh, you can hear Whoa. some of that weird kind of spooky, reverbed out, um, long form melody yeah. guitar riffs on the adolescence record that you hear on Christian death. I had like, no idea. Yeah. That sounds like a record I was going to mention earlier, but I, I forgot to discharges sleep in hope. Did you listen to that one? I do. I have all listened about to that one. Shooting up speed. Mama mia. And being addicted to it. And this, the, the gatefold is just a guy shooting up, but it's just gigantic long riffs just in a, like a cavern and some kind of clammy kind of stuff. Yes, they had, they, they kind of had feathered hair at that point. I yeah. think more. Yeah. Like I, that stuff, that stuff I love too. Another band that I forgot to talk about who I think are kind of like maybe the coolest band ever are Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. And, um, like uh, I'm, I'm gonna put. I'll, I'll say this now, because I want I want people to think this, that Killing Joke are my favorite band, okay. because I'm actively trying to make them my favorite band, um, and because I think that they're like, it's you know when you're an old chunk of coal like myself, like I'm. Did not you say imp- gold or coal? Coal. Oh, I would have said yeah. gold. Two gold, old chunk of coal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, old prospector. Um, I find that like the magic and the mystery has been removed from many of the uh, groups that I kind of heralded and, 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 and idolized, or, or just have been obsessed with in the past. You just kind of through being in the industry, you're gonna like, oh yeah, it's, it's one of those guys. But like, killing joke are still sort of a mystery to me. And I've watched the three hour yeah. documentary. Yeah. They're still scary and they yeah. still have this, they're still kind of magic and they still, I don't know where, like what they were listening to to create the music that they listened to. I don't know. Like it's just the idea that between the first and second record, you know, jazz Coleman went to Pakistan, disappeared and like became a uh, Arabic classical music composer you know like all this shit and then also is a satan worshiper and but also isn't he's like no not that satan this other satan yeah right I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah okay there's just something uh it's just really cool right <laughs> and i think that there's sort of that that like amoebics the, the discharge record you're talking about reminds me a bit of killing joke yeah and amoebics where it's like this really dark i do think drugs have a lot to do with it too um, it seems like shooting speed and heroin together. Yeah, like where it's kind of it's metal, but it doesn't it doesn't really sound like metal. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like punk or hardcore at the same time. I mean, it does. Like my mom wouldn't really know the difference, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I just think that a lot of the kind of like well, Killing Jokes started like that, so they always had that freedom. Yeah, they can kind of do whatever yeah. they wanted. Their first record had, like, I mean, Jazz Coleman played keyboards, and so it did have that sort of thing, and screaming and singing, and it kind of, they could release a song that sounds like uh, Tears for Fears, and it wouldn't be strange, and they did, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, I do think that there's, like, a lot of that, like, very thick chorus-laden. Like, I actually think, I think Killing Joke have a lot more to do with the Melvins, and Nirvana than like and even like Black Sabbath or Black Flag do. Right. There's just something about this weird angular like half step kind of riffs and like slow and sludgy, but it's not bluesy, you know? Right. Um, You've just taken the my war out of Nirvana. Mm-hmm. You might no, get struck by lightning. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, Henry. <laughs> oh, Hank. <laughs> 
Um, <clears throat> where were we? Were we talking about your record? We were for a second. We were. Yeah. Now we're talking about other records. That's what happens with me. I encourage everyone to listen to this new record, which comes out when? In February 23rd, is that right? Yes, I believe so. On what record label? It's um, it's a it's a label called Trash Casual, and and then a label called Academy Fight Songs, and they're kind of one and the same. Hmm. And they're all uh, it's Rough Trade connected, but um, yeah, they're putting it out. And cool. I'm excited about it. It's funny. It comes out the same day as the new MGMT record, which is called Loss of Life, and our record is called Till I'm Dead. And we all turned 40 this year. You know what I mean? So it's time to start yeah. uh, getting that old yeah. will paper out. Right? <laughs> will paper. Yeah. yeah choosing choosing an urn, going urn shopping. Yeah, urn shopping. Just casual urn shopping. And <laughs> yeah. Not quite yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> last week, I was reaching out to our friend Isaac Brock, lead singer of Modest Mouse. Mm-hmm. And I said, I says to him, I think Simon's going to be on my podcast. What should I ask him? And I'll Uh-oh. just uh, let me let me get this text out here. It's kind of funny because it's full circled us. Here's my question: I'm having Simon on the podcast next week. Any rousing questions? His answer was: Ask him punk questions. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. Have I asked every punk question? I'm trying to think of. Um, I'm going to ask one, and then I'm going to put you on the spot and get and have you to give me an ultimate punk music statement. Okay. I know it sucks I, to do that, but I have a dumb question for you. All right, hit me. Since we've covered most of, I mean, it seems like maybe you and I should stop talking about punk at some point. And just as this is what happens with me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, could go on and on. It's because, you know what? It's because we remember it. It's because it was something we paid a lot of attention to before the drugs started kicking in, eating our brain away. And we didn't have as many rock and roll synoptic connections. Yeah, I could tell you about like the 1990 Mets and stuff too. You You can. What's not though? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, continue. My my question is it's pretty base. I don't even, it's not even about punk music. It's about punk t-shirts. Do you have any of your first punk t-shirts that you purchased when you were a little kid? Yes. I'm looking at one right now. Oh my god, handy. This is um, not a setup. Um there's um well, a lot of them my mom. So when I was a teenager I was in this band Thulsa Doom like first Seven Inch came out when I was fourteen. Second when I was fifteen, and this is the AB, this is the sort of like the other side of ABC No Rio, where like while it was a great scene for little kids, as I became an older gentleman, seventeen, um, I started to get a little bit kind of irritated by the uh, faux open mindedness of that sort of political crust punk scene and sort of the the musical limitations that I would describe. You know, if you were to dare, you know, do a harmonized guitar riff, double bass pedal stuff. Um, and I sort of uh, had a, a kind of, I wanted to no longer be a punk aggressively. Sure. Yeah. So I had all these awesome shirts that I just like left at home when I went to college, um, where I kind of just wanted to, you know, literally physically strip myself of anything punk is associated for a little bit. So I lost a lot with my mom. I mean, literally, I found a Veruca shirt oh, uh, that my mom was using as a uh, kind of a, a rag, a literal rag to clean things that I've rescued recently. It looks really cool because yeah. it was a, a rag. Um, so the, the shirt I'm looking at right now, but then, so like, I don't, I wish I had more because I would have, I had so many. I mean, I still, I still have a lot. It's still hard for me. Few. It's, it's, you said, that's why you say, I still have a few. Me. Oh, I thought that's, you said no. that's why I love you. That's why I love um, you. That's why I love you too. I have, well, I, okay, I have enough where like I sometimes on my way to pick up my child from school realize that I should probably go into this coffee shop and bathroom and turn my shirt inside out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mine, mine but, is vivisection on everyone. Oh, it's a Neurosis good. shirt. Oh, Neurosis. 
that's a fucking that's a cool band too. I mean, yeah. I think there's some issues with, with the behavior of members, but as far as they're in the killing joke world for me. Um, I have well, I had the um, bedtime for democracy dead Kennedy shirt mm. that's right there that I'm pointing at. You can hear me point fast. Yes, um, and I have a GBH shirt right over there. That's Ooh, super old. Which one? Can you hold? Are you reach? Is it reachable? Yeah, one sec. Thank you. You have a lot of tuxedos too, for some reason. Shit. It's in the other room. Okay. You have um, a lot of tuxedos back there. What's that? I do. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you never know, right? <laughs> GBH, tuxedo. Yeah. Some tuxedos over there. Well, we're getting a closet built there. So that's, uh, that's what's I going on in the closet. Um, my favorite punk shirt is a Chaos UK shirt. And it has a guy putting a gun in his mouth in the front and says, Hope you get a fucking headache. And on the back, it says sheep shagging, student glassing, which I think means breaking a glass and shoving it in the face of a student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, something dope smoking. Right. Punk rockers. But that now, oh, here's the problem. I also, as I said before, I mentioned I was a very short punk, mm-hmm. like physically short, went through yeah. puberty around 16. So a lot of the shirts I own, I would also cut the bottom off so you could see my belts. Oh, man. Nice so now move. they're crop tops. Yeah. Kind of unwearable. That's an interesting story. Yeah. So, it yeah, is. that's, that's. I think the first, actually, okay, no, I think the first punk, 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 punk shirt I ever bought, I still wear. And I even, I think I was, I've worn in the last Modest Mouse tours and exploited Let's Start a War shirt. I saw it. Yeah. I think you were wearing it around me when I was around you. I think so, too. Yep. Conversation starter. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nice. Waddy's still yep. alive, singing, singing away, isn't he? He is, but... I don't want to say I it s- like that. He, Waddy's strong, still going. I, well, no, you should say it like that, because yeah. I, 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 I strongly suggest following him on Instagram. He seems to have a heart attack. I do. <laughs> You do. Yeah. Have you noticed how he has a heart attack every fourth show? It seems like, yeah. Like every time, I'm just checking my feed, I'm like, "There's Waddy in the ER again." I know. It's, 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 <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't laugh, but I'm oh, like, we shouldn't laugh. There are signs, yes, that you should pay attention to, yeah. and one of them is having bi-monthly heart attacks. Yeah, <laughs> bi-monthly heart attacks on stage. Yeah, that this maybe is, you should, it's time look at to, your situation. But yeah. I mean. Look at his situation. Well, what else is he? Yeah. What's he gonna? Is he gonna sit at home, not um, play shows, and die right. on his couch? Yeah, punk's not dead. Punk's not dead yet, Waddy. Yeah, Waddy's <laughs> not dead. Killing. There's gonna be so many play on. Uh. Oh yeah. Oh well. <sighs> but, what'd um, you study? What'd you study up there at Yale, punk? Yeah. Pu- um, four years of punk. Well, I went. So the Yale I went to is actually called. Wesleyan was in a different city, but I liberal arts school, so I studied whatever. But that's where I met all the MGMT guys, which is kind mm. of important for me because, like, New York in the mid late nineties was like, and obviously somebody will get angry and tell me that I'm wrong. Um, as somebody who liked rock and roll and played guitar, it was like it was very much as far as you know my world was concerned. It was very hip hop and then punk. Mm. There wasn't a lot of indie rock. There wasn't a lot of sort of kind of capital rock and roll. Like I think in my high school, I was one or or like every single like everyone just liked rap. That was what you liked, and I like rap too. So, but I wanted to play rock and roll. I wanted to play guitar, and I think that's punk was an, like the only scene that i was aware of at the time that we could kind of like go and play shows with other rock enthusiasts and then when i got to school and met uh andrew and ben and and will berman and everyone like who are not from new york they kind of showed me a world of in they were into indie rock and other things and and that sort of expanded my mind a bit and my and kind of open opened it up like i i, I almost just thought that like well you know now that i'm not into punk like i should start just think of something else to do that's not music and meeting these guys were like 
well, that's no, you can still do music. Okay. That's not punk, <laughs> okay. you know? That's great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was, it was studied, I don't know, it's got some books. There's Nietzsche, <laughs> took class on that motherfucker. Uh, you know, over there is Oscar Wilde. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a Sigmund Freud. Um, but you know, but I think it was like meeting meeting those guys and sort of seeing seeing how people from different places that weren't New York experienced music and who loved music as much as I did was was yeah. really what I took. Yeah, from that's that. great. That was yeah. your education. That was my education. Right on. And it, yeah. Um. Well, I'm going to let you go here. I have one last uh, sort of self-promotional question please have you thought about what we're gonna call me and dan's band and how are we gonna make it happen that kind of lost some steam it sure did i did my job i know maybe we should fly to somewhere where we meet each other well dan's in la right well i haven't even talked to you like really about so meeting, I only met Dan in September for the first time. And now you're in a band with him. And now we're in a band. We're but it was pretty contract. amazing because, you know, a lot of the parts, when I joined Modest Mouse, I was kind of, I was given no direction. Um, and just had to sort of listen to the catalog and learn things. And, you know, so other, other people might say, might disagree, but I, I found that it came surprisingly easy to me this sounds obnoxious but i was like there's something fishy going on there's something Mm -hmm. it's like and a lot of the parts i was learning were dance parts um obviously johnny mars parts that was that's a whole different you know part of the brain i used Mm -hmm. where it's almost like suddenly i have to play like nile rogers but um um i just remember being like this sounds there's something familiar about this this like there's i just just my intuition is correct. So I'm like, I wonder if this is, you know, and it's not saying that the songs are predictable, but there's just something weird. I'm like, either this guy who's playing his guitar, these guitar parts, writing the guitar parts, has had a wildly similar sort of musical trajectory as I have, or it's just some random fucking flute. And when I met Dan, we just kind of hit it off right away. And I was just like, hey, is, uh, you know, uh, burn me with it, break down the walls, or like use it today, or I don't know, I don't remember. Yeah. It was some stuff like that. It was like a, it's it ocean breeze, like pearly dude drop drops, like <laughs> cocktail twins or whatever, you know? Yeah. And he was going, yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not, but it's like inspired by it. Sure. And then like, yeah. like weird little things, like, or I remember like, he's like, do you like any, who's your favorite cross punk band? I'm like, I don't know if you know them. They're like, I think they just put out one, seven inch and like a split lp span filth and then he lifts up his sleeve and he's a fucking filth tattoo I know. so there is something that was like it's kind of like oh, oh you know it's like okay this makes sense like i grew up listening to the exact same music as he did got bored of it at the same time moved on to a similar you know listening to other similar stuff and like i don't know it just it was kind of amazing but anyway i think that's when we decided to form a band yeah and then, of course, you got involved. Um, so I think the name, I think with Dan, when Dan and I were talking about it, I was like, I kind of want to be like Crusty Sisters of Mercy. So we're thinking Dis, dis Sisters. Yeah, that's what my file says. Yeah. Dis but, spelled, but what about Discogs? Dis no, sisters. you're shaking your head. Yeah. Dis yeah. <laughs> you're shaking your head. You, yeah, I could hear you. You can see you vomiting. Yeah, this sister sounds good because it sounds like a real word. It does, but it's and not. It's hard to say. You know, here's another fake word that I was that I've been saying for years up until recently. That I'll maybe I'll leave you with. So in Mission Impossible One, Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise, is sitting at a table before he puts the gum and throws it at the fish tank. Mm-hmm. And he says, this whole operation was a mole hunt, a mole hunt. But I heard it as a molent, like a word, which mm-hmm. I thought meant irrelevant. Oh, and I've been molent. using the word a molent 
my whole life without correction. Really? Yeah, like, I just feel like this is a mullet. I mean, and people are just like, yeah, you know, because it sounds like such a real word that people are like, well, I, I don't know. And then I rewatched Mission Impossible a couple months ago with my son and realized that he was actually seeing a mole hunt. Yeah, a mullet. It also sounds like a cleaner. Check this out. Yeah. To sisters, a mullet. I know. I know. You're already there. Yeah, I was already there. (laughs) I'm already seeing it. Do you have any fake words? Uh, No, but I I like fiddling around with words, especially with my child. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were just recently on vacation, and we were standing in the waist deep in a body of water. And uh, the waves were coming in at us. And for some reason, I, I was like, I we always, well, I'm mostly me, have fake English accents. I was like, Walter, Walter, Walter. It's like, think of an English person. And I don't know which dialect of English it would work best in. But an English person saying, Walter, Walter. That's Walter Water. Walter Water. Wouldn't that be a good nature show? Walter Water. Walter Water. Or a spy? Walter Water. Walter Water. Because it sounds like you're saying Walter Water. And the signature is just like kind of like two W's. Yeah. Esquire. Walter Water Esquire. Walter Water P.I. Yeah. Walter Water. Constable Water. Constable. Walter. Inspector. What are lawyers called? Esquire. They're... What are they called? Esquire. No, but like they call them something. Not oh, like oh, uh, not council. Council? Did you say that? Or? Maybe counselor, but I feel like this. Counselor? Else. Counselor, Walter Walter. Walter Walter. Lecturer, Walter Walter. Walter Walter. L- Lieutenant Walter Walter. Walter Walter. I think it's good, like a little kind of um, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Walter Walter. Walter Walter. Walter. Yeah, you can't do it. We just learned something. You can't do it in Scottish. Wadi 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 Water. Wadi Water. Wadi Water. Wow. That's great, though. Yeah, it's nice hanging out with you. You too. Well, hopefully we can hang IRL soon. Yeah, maybe down there in Portland if you're practicing or if you're over here. I don't know. I might go to New- oh, I'm going to New York in a little bit. When, when, when? Well, tell February. February. Yeah, I can't I'll tell. be here probably. Yeah. Just playing a show? Yes, playing a live concert at Webster Hall. Two of them, nice. I think. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. Solo. Solo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Solo, Solo <laughs> project. Two day- Walter, 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 Walter watered two days at... Webster. Speaking of my solo project, one last, I have a self-promote again. Built Built-in Sun is going to open for Spiral Heads sometime. I have Hell to get my yeah. band together. But Hell yeah. I think it'd be a Wal- good... Walter Walter, marriage. two days at Walter Walter at Webster. The Walter Walter tour. Walter Walter. Walter yeah, it's hard to say Walter Walter. Emu- yeah. I forgot our, your word already. A mullet. A mullet. Which I believe is spelled A A M. O-L-L-E-N-T. A mullet sounds also like either a product that would remove uh, paint mm-hmm. scrapes on your car. Not scrapes, but the when another car hits mm-hmm. it, it's a, that color. Yeah. Or transfer. it's the process. Paint transfer. Yeah. Paint transfer. Yeah. It's either the product that removes it or the process. Omulating. Or or a sort of a household product or installation installation that has found out to be uh, poisonous. Speaking, this is a live art installation too. Yeah. Playing in Times Square. Live. (laughs) Streaming. I I love performance art. You know me. I know. Can't get enough. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, man. All right. Your best. I love the record. Um, And I'll talk to you soon. Definitely. Bye-bye. I was my head to leave my eyes alone I was a look approachable 
I want my head to leave my eyes alone